Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, including all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. Once again, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and I would like to invite you to be like Ryan Hall and come spend some time in our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Our guest today is the aforementioned Ryan Hall, who has an incredibly interesting relationship to running. Now, as most of you know, Ryan is a two-time Olympian. He still holds the U.S. record in the half marathon, and he is the only American to run a sub-205 marathon, which he did at the 2011 Boston Marathon. But these days, it would be fair to say that Ryan has cut back quite a bit on his running, and he is currently far more focused on lifting. And I've got to say, meeting up with Ryan, this transformation of his from 130-something pound marathon runner to 175 to 185 pound bodybuilder, well, it's pretty wild. But that's not the only wild thing Ryan's got going on, because Ryan just completed his first ultramarathon, the North Face Grand Traverse here in Crested Butte, and he did it about as off the couch as somebody can possibly do anything, which, given the title of this podcast, admittedly makes us like him even more. And I think we have to give Ryan the current title for the most off-the-couch achievement of any guest we've ever had on the show, which is also kind of hilarious and surreal given his story as a world-class long-distance runner turned bodybuilder. It's not exactly conventional, but it is perfect. Anyway, Ryan and I sat down in Blister headquarters to talk about his first ultra, but we sure ended up talking about a whole lot more than just that, and it proved to be a very candid conversation with a guy who has experienced some incredible highs and some painful lows in his running career. We ended up talking quite a lot about weight and performance and his own struggles as a runner to find the right balance there, and Ryan shared quite a few of the tough lessons he learned through trial and error, and how his work now as a running coach is all about allowing others to benefit from what he learned along the way. And so on that note, you should definitely check out runfreetraining.com to learn more about working with Ryan. I really enjoyed this conversation and the chance to sit down with Ryan to talk, and I am excited to now be able to share that conversation with you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, here is our current off-the-couch title holder, Ryan Hall. Well, Ryan Hall, welcome, first of all, to Blister Headquarters, and, and welcome to Crested Butte. It's great having you here. Oh, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to be here. It's a beautiful place to be. You know, it's been really sunny and nice, and then a couple of days ago, we brought you a ton of smoke 
from Colorado, I think, and California wildfires. And then last night, we just decided to have it drop 10 or 12 inches of snow. So we're just, I hope we're giving you the full gamut of, I guess, a Colorado experience here. Yes, I certainly am getting that. Yeah, but no, I, I love it all. I'm embracing every aspect of it. So it's so funny having you with this remarkable and remarkably interesting background in running. And yet today you sit here as I think like, I don't know what we say, like the king of the off the couchness (laughs) because you just got done running the North Face Grand Traverse, your first ultra and and this is the off the couch part. I'm I'm sure most people kind of know this by now, but it's really like the most off the couch thing a person could have done. I it's it's shocking, right? So you basically have run very little in the year 2020 and we're sitting it's September 9th today. And while you are a wildly accomplished marathoner. I don't know that you ever ran like 26.22, right? And so I guess what on earth, why and how did you come to this decision? (laughs) That's a great question. So I'm a coach now. So I've run free training and we coach athletes online. Um, But then I also personally coach about 10 athletes. And one of the athletes I coach used to live here in Crested Butte, um, Meta Haley. And she texted me. She just finished a 5K training block, right? So she wasn't training for long distance stuff either. And she texted me. She's like, hey, there's this race I've always wanted to do. It's the Grand Mountain or the Grand Traverse Mountain Run. And so I looked it up on my phone. I was like, whoa, this looks pretty epic yeah like going like at the you know usually we go to aspen this year is different because of covid with the course but i was looking i was like this looks like insane super hard but like beautiful adventure and there's just something inside of me it just kind of captured me and i was like oh i kind of want to hop in this even though i don't even run five times this year (laughs) and my longest run was seven miles so my mileage for the year was like 25 miles (laughs) so i was very very under trained but so i texted meta back i was like i'm thinking about hopping in maybe and uh she's like oh if you hop in i'm definitely doing it and so i was like i'm always i'm a gamer i need adventure in my life Uh and uh this just you know i was already going to be in crested butte sarah's trained for the london marathon and we're planning on coming up for a month in the fall in september and so i was going to be here anyways and it's going down and just kind of made too much sense in one way and then not so much in another way in the training aspect okay but correct me if i have this wrong you officially kind of retire from running i think in 2016 have you done this before i mean not an ultra you've never done an ultra but have you done this to like hop into other races yes okay once so the same thing happened a buddy of mine texts me it's like hey i'm doing this crazy uh, challenge the world marathon challenge so that's if you guys don't know what that is that's seven marathons in seven days on seven continents and that's seven consecutive days so i hopped in that one but i was training a lot more then which would meant three days a week with a long run of like eight miles but i was running you know that's way more than i was running now so anyways i decided to hop in that race with my buddy and and ran that one got a stress fracture on day five in morocco so ran the 
ran in quotation marks the last two marathons with a stress fracture but got through it and got to the finish line and um you know the thing with challenges is I feel like anyone can do it if you train for it, right? So to me, it's like not that interesting to train for it and then I know I can do it. Mm. But if you don't train for it, <laughs> it creates a whole another level of mystery that you're like – like even like Sarah, like before this one, before this one, she's like, do you know the cutoff times? Like, like, do you know when you're going to have to get, like, she was not sure if I was going to, you know, the yeah. sweeper was going to come yeah. and gobble me up. And uh, so, you know, when your wife, who's a professional <laughs> runner is like, not sure if you can do it, that also creates some doubt in my own mind. And I literally was not sure if I could finish the Grand Traverse run. I mean, 9,000 feet of elevation yeah. gain, getting up to 12,000 plus feet, star pass. I was like... I don't know. <laughs> I haven't run l longer than one hour. And then the Grand Traverse run took me 12 and a half 12 hours and a half. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I don't even know what my official time was. I want to learn the answer to Sarah's question. Did you know the cutoff times? Like, did you know the sweeper times? I didn't, but we actually started asking. And when we got to like the last couple of water stops, <laughs> we we're like, what's the cutoff time? Because <laughs> we weren't sure if we were, but we, it turned out, I think we were fine. I don't know. I, I, to be honest, if I would have got swept, I would have been okay with that. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, it wasn't meant to be. On the one hand, it's so interesting, right? Because anybody who like follows you on social, it's like you're the guy sitting there like literally weighing out your food. And so, and I know how sort of obsessive of a history and mentality you have about running from your marathon days. And so this still doesn't quite compute. I could see you jumping in, like say to a, there's a two on two basketball tournament or something random, right? Yeah. But it's interesting to me that I guess this was different enough that it didn't pull you back into like, I don't know, I, I, you're nodding like you know what I'm getting at. Bringing you too close back into a, a competitive world where being wildly underprepared is like the ultimate nightmare. <laughs> so help me <laughs> help me understand this. I think this might be part of my way to like create two different worlds that I've lived in, right? Yeah. And so it's like part of why I got into weightlifting after running is like running was not feeling like how it should feel, how I experienced to feel, how it felt at its most beautiful moments for me. You know, when you're running a 204 marathon and you're looking down at your watch and you're just seeing 445, 445 mile after mile and you're just floating through them, like that is one of the coolest sensations I've ever experienced as a human being, mm -hmm. right? So then to even like be just like a sub elite like runner, like is not how I want to remember running, right? It's kind of like how like with your wedding video, it's like like I have never watched my wedding because I want to just remember it how I remembered it. Like it was such a beautiful moment, you know? And so like I don't don't rewatch my wedding. It's kind of like that with running where it's like I want to remember it at its finest moments. And yes, it wasn't, of, of course, it wasn't always like that, right? But that's how I want to like look back at it. And for me, like if I keep doing it and I'm just getting slower and slower and worse and worse at this thing, it's just going to ruin how yes. I experience running to be. So now like 
it's like that was like a world that was this whole separate world that I lived in. It's like first life and second life. And so now like running feels so drastically different. It's so, it's, it's a completely different, it's almost like I've never run before in my life at my current body weight. I'm like 40 pounds heavier. And the fact that I don't train, it's, it's just, it's totally different. It's, it's, it's removed me enough from that to where I can go to this ultra marathon. And I probably, I think I would win the award for the most social person on the course. Like I was chatting it up with everyone and we were just getting passed by like hundreds of people. Right. So we started in like the third corral, which we had no business being in. And, but I was just like chatting it up with everyone, just having a good time. And you know, that was the goal is like the social component, the adventure component. And so the performance end of it was just completely removed because I knew like, you know, I'm not going to touch anything like I used to do anymore. So I think it creates enough space between those experiences to still to, to be fun now and worth doing it in a totally different way in a totally different experience. I've actually talked about this several times on this podcast, but I think like I have yet to, since my days in high school, running the 100 and 200, I was a sprinter. I have never lined up, you know, at the start of a race. And in part, I think it's because I left those. And for me, it was, it wasn't about track. It was about football and basketball. Like those were the like real competition days. And for me, like walking up to any race that like, I'm not going to win, but I think it still would bring back the competitive, like, nope, it's a start and there is a winner. And so if you're here, that means you have to go, like you win, win or break, right? So I, so I personally find that very interesting how you've already, like I wasn't, I was not remotely, you know, at like for you competing at that level. So I find it really um, like, I guess I'm like proud of you that you've been able to start making that switch. And I'm like, we were talking about earlier, I got a couple of our reviewers who are like coaxing me gently into come on, just sign up for this and it'll be fun. And, and I can see that, but I have fought that. I have fought that. And when I've been asked, it's been like, you know, what's your goal with running? What are you trying to do? And I'm just like, for the first time in a, like recently, running has kind of become freeing for the, for, for years, it was just training for years or it was punishment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And, um, I just need to preserve that right now. And so I find these different relationships to running and racing and the rest so fascinating. So I really appreciate (laughs) kind of hearing your story. I don't think anyone would recognize you if we brought in, half marathon marathon sort of record holding version of you if that person sat down next i'm not sure that we would (laughs) be like wait that's just a later version (laughs) you know of this person and psychologically i guess i wondered about that if you're on this 43 mile in this 43 mile race if if it were me the entire time i would have just been thinking i used to weigh 40 pounds less than this this is literally like I'm just carrying around a 45 pound plate <laughs> right, for 43 right, miles. Right. Psychologically, were were you okay with that, or was that weighing on you? Or yeah, no, I'm totally okay with it now. You know, it's like 
what I've gone after, what I'm trying to do, you know? So it's like the more weight I'm carrying around, like I'm actually like happy about yeah. that, you know? And also too, like it increases the level of the challenge. It just makes it that much harder when you weigh more, you know? But it's funny. I get a lot of messages on Instagram, stuff like that. Like people being like, does it feel harder now to run being so much heavier? I'm like, yes, of course it does. Like this is not helpful for running long distances. Like having upper body mass does not help. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was interesting actually being out on the course. I, this happened a couple times where people would pass me. They look back at me and then they recognize me and they would be like, what are you doing back here? <laughs> or like, did you already finish and you just came back and you're like running more or something? I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm just like out here suffering like everyone else you know but yeah the extra weight makes the sensation of running just feel totally different and then my you know i was surprised i thought my risk of injury was super super high going into the event right like having only done an eight mile run it's like i could get a stress fracture i could pull a Achilles or calf or you know there's so many different issues I was like I hope my my hip flexor doesn't just grab me and get super tight and I was lucky that like I didn't have any issues like that and I think that was largely due to like the weight training like my legs are physically stronger than they've ever been but they're not used to like the pounding of the running which is what really I think for ultra runners in particular what really like puts that lead feel on your legs your legs just feel like they weigh a thousand pounds so um you know the last 11 hours of the race i felt like my legs were just like full of lead (laughs) i'm thinking if i went off the couch and did this 43 mile race like i would be sore i think for like two and a half weeks are you what's the soreness level like yeah well, i had my first leg day today in the gym so that was what's today wednesday today's wednesday and the race was saturday yeah wasn't a great leg day but <laughs> but i'm not sore anymore i was actually trying to hit a pr in the deadlift no so that's, you yeah that's like that's like my mentality i'm like I just always expect the best. I'm like, I'm going to feel amazing today. I'm just going to rip this weight off the ground. And then I, you know, I wasn't anywhere near it, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm also okay with like being, you know, being off and dealing with that. But I uh, know, I mean, to answer your question, like I felt really beat up the next morning, like getting, we're in a condo that's three floors high and I'm sleeping on the top level. And so getting down those steps took like 20 minutes in the morning. Yeah. Like my IT band was like super locked up. I think the biggest thing is I got really dehydrated out there. So I made a lot of first timer mistakes, you know, like I didn't take a hydration pack because I'm like, I'm not used to hydration packs. I'm just going to carry water bottles and I'll get a good bicep pump at the same time. <laughs> so actually my traps were sore the next day huh. from carrying these like 12 yeah. ounce water bottles for 12 and a half hours. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was a mistake. I got super dehydrated out there. And I think that's like what made beat up my body the most. So then the next day, like I was out walking around with my family, watching my little brother in the mountain bike race and as the day was going on i was hydrating eating a lot and moving a lot and then i started feeling better and better two days after the race went on like a crazy hike up here with my family with two two miles like two thousand feet of elevation gain up and down and i was fine i I think that's the key to recovery is moving blood flow that's that's the number one thing that's gonna help you recover quick that and hydration and then your nutrition right so like even though i didn't feel like eating after the race i had a really hard time even eating during the race my stomach was just like low level messed up the whole time but i just forced my force calories down after the race 
breakfast. I didn't feel like eating. I still just like forced down a bunch of simple calories, went to bed. And then the next day was just like eating, 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 even though I didn't feel like it. So I think, you know, when it comes to recovery from events like this, the biggest thing is, yeah, blood flow, sleep, nutrition, and hydration. I know you were kind of polling people prior to the race and you're like, what should I eat? Yeah. yeah. What did you, what did you end up doing uh, for food during the, during the race? So I took a lot of gels with me and I quickly became like really nauseous whenever I'd even think about taking a gel, you know, I think I did get down like seven or eight gels though. So I got down a decent amount of that. And then I had some pop tarts that I had in my halfway bag. So I went through a pop tart or two. Then they had some rice krispies out there on the course. I was hitting those a little bit. And then like my stomach was really not good. And especially cause I was dehydrated and we were dehydrated. It makes it harder for your body to like take in the calories and process the calories. So then I wasn't eating much of anything until I tried a mandarin. And that was the thing I was most skeptical of before the race. Like, why would you take a mandarin out on the course? Like fruit, like there's not even that many calories in it. And like, you have to unwrap it. It just didn't make any sense to me. But then I tried it and it was just like heaven. I was like, oh, this just like goes straight into my body. It felt so good on my stomach and system. And I started feeling way, way, I took that the last aid station with seven miles to go and just started feeling way, way better after that. And I also took in a whole bunch more fluids and stuff. So um, it actually made that last seven miles like not too, too bad. Although we did, I say that and then I'm getting like flashbacks of getting like, (laughs) we passed this one girl who like just hats off to her. She was like, had a really bad limp going on, right? Like she was like her IT band was messed up. I was actually trying to show her a stretch to help her out, but she was not looking good at all. And then like, three miles later, she passed us back. <laughs> she was like limping past us, you know? <laughs> so we did not have an impressive, well, we didn't we, we didn't have an impressive race in general, but uh, especially that last stage, we were not exactly moving along. I'm like a notorious slow walker. Okay. And so there was so much walking involved in my day, at least, that I think that uh, being a slow walker kind of worked against me. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're gonna do more of these? Oh, it's way too soon to ask that question. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking now that you found the secret sauce of the mandarins. Yeah, right. If, if your head automatically went to like, if I just, I'm going to carry a huge backpack full of mandarins, just crush these, the whole thing. You're like, I'll probably finish my next ultra in half the time. Well, here's the thing. It's like, so I kind of showed myself I can get through a crazy course. It's 43 miles long without training for it. So it's like, well, what's the next thing that I'm going to feel really challenged by and be like, ooh, like, I'm not sure if I can do that. Like, I want to sign up for that. Yet when I was out there, I was like, I think 50 miles would be my limit because then I'd have to probably like legit train for it. And when I think about doing the training, that doesn't sound fun to me at all. I'm like, I don't want to train. Like I want to go after my goals in the weight room and stuff. And maybe if I stop progressing in the weight room, then maybe I'd entertain the idea. But even then, I think... I don't know. There's still, to be honest, like some like hurts with the running when I think back on it where I'm like, I I think it's just going to trigger me if I go back and I'm running and doing long runs and pushing myself on the runs. Like, I think it's just going to trigger a lot of hurts that that came up over my career. And I don't think I'd enjoy that, you know? So I I enjoyed how I did this one, my approach and the not training, like that was uniquely me and worked for me, you know? But, uh, 
So I don't know. It'd have to be the right challenge. I've always, one that I've always thought about doing is comrades in South Africa. So something like that. I have buddies who do that all the time with Team World Vision and stuff. So I could see maybe hopping in something like that, but I don't know. Uh, The last big challenge I did with the World Marathon Challenge was in uh, 2017, uh, January 2017. So I needed a good like three and a half years to like detox from that before I signed up for my next epic one. So it might be another like three and a half years before I'm feeling ready to throw myself into some crazy adventure race. (laughs) Fair, fair. (laughs) By the way, triggered is a great word. Man, you've got to have one of the most interesting sort of running careers, right? And, And talking about some of the traumatic moments of this and so the highs and the lows, and and I, it does actually, on the one hand, this move and the 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 developed interest of yours into the lifting stuff, in a way that makes perfect sense to me. But I think that, and this maybe goes back to my question about like I was kind of personally, I looked a little bit in sort of amazement that you would even dip a toe back into this world, and not just dip a toe, jump into an ultra, but. It is fascinating to me, and I'd love to hear you speak to this, since you just said, like, I I worry, I do worry about kind of getting triggered or moving back into some um, pretty unhappy or unhealthy times, but you're a coach and you are married to a professional runner. And like, how on earth do you navigate all of this? Is that actually harder than we might imagine or is it actually easier than we might imagine like you've figured out how to thread this needle right right yeah that's a great question i think it comes back to like what are the athletes goals right and so if i'm coaching an athlete and their goal is to hit an olympic trials mark you can do that in a very healthy way right it's like you don't have to thread the needle like you can if you balance your life with proper eating proper nutrition proper weight training you don't overtrain you don't get to that close to that line of like really unhealthy level of training you can do that and still hit the olympic trials qualifying mark if you want to run 204 in the marathon or like my wife sarah she just ran 222 a year ago she's going to go to london try and run a little bit quicker she's trying to make olympic teams you have to flirt with that unhealthy level right so like her life looks very similar to how my life looked when I was training professionally. It's like you train in the morning and then like you're laying in bed most of the day, right? (laughs) Like, and that's just, that's the cost. Like that's what you have to do. And you know, she's not so much laying in bed. She's like sitting with our kids, helping them with their schoolwork right now and being a mom of four. So how she's taking her downtime is very different than how I took my downtime, you know, with two hour naps and stuff like that. Like she doesn't have that luxury as a mom of four. So she's can't be quite as close to that line, even as I was. But I think having been there, having had to thread the needle, so to say, and even cross over that line and be in an unhealthy state helps me guide my athletes now uh-huh. and be able to identify the signs of that before you get there. And I think that's why, you know, there's some like debate in like amongst recreational runners of whether or not it's good to have a pro coach who's run at a super high level. Cause there's kind of this, I think this thought of like, they're going to train me how they train themselves, you know, but 
from my perspective, it's like, no, no. And I know like, Hey, there's this path that you're starting to go down. I can tell by like how your workouts are going by your motivation level, by how many hours of sleep you're getting. Like I can tell that we're going down this unhealthy path and we need to pull back our training. We need to take it down. We, we need to rest. We need to take some days off, whatever. Like you can avoid those kind of pitfalls. Right. So I think having, been through it myself. Now it's very easy for me to identify it as a coach and avoid those. And even with Sarah, one thing I wasn't good at when I was around professionally is like, if the, it was written on my training plan, like I was going to do the workout. Didn't matter if I was feeling totally waxed, really out of it, was not sleeping well, was having terrible workouts. Like I was going to do the workout because it was written on paper, you know? And now like as a coach, I'm modifying her workouts all the time. Like I'm a much better coach than I was an athlete because I have like a a higher perspective of it now. And, and I see the value in like listening to your body and adapting training accordingly. So that's kind of a hallmark of how I train people now is just like, I'm going to send you training for a week and I expect updates like every single day. So that I can, tr I can change your training around. If you're not feeling well, if you're not sleeping well, if you ha have a bad workout, I might lighten up the next workout a little bit. It's like a, it's a living organism. It's not. And, and I got this from an Italian coach that coached some of the best marathoners in the world. And he, he told me, he's like, the training plan should follow the athlete, not the athlete follow the training plan. And that was really impactful for me and something that really try and implement as a coach being like, okay, this training plan just needs to follow my athlete and they need to be adapting and changing and growing and getting better. And my goal is not to just like have them follow this, like live or die, like to the death, we're going to follow this training plan. Like it needs to like suit them and suit their lifestyle. So to me, it's all about like tailoring programs to my athletes needs. And, you know, I work with athletes at every level, you know, some are just trying to like finish their first marathon. On. Some were trying to hit Boston qualifiers, some of them New York uh, are trying to hit Olympic trials marks. And then, you know, my wife is going to try and make runs at American records. So, you know, every single level, I think the key for me as a coach is like, how can I tailor this to meet their specific needs and keep them in a healthy space? It's really cool hearing you talk about that part about like, man, I, I hit those traps. I hit those pitfalls. I, I can tell you from experience, I don't like what this is looking like, or I don't think the sleep is there. Or I don't, I don't think that individual weight is coming in right given the goals, or it just looks like a bit on not very healthy. I mean, you like literally first person experience on, on many of these things. It's so interesting with your story that, you know, where you are today and where you were as when you were competing and hitting a start line, it, you know, talking about cutting weight almost in a way that I would expect to be having a conversation about cutting weight with like a wrestler, right? And hearing you talk about that, you think even back in your competitive running days that you think your baseline weight would have been around 165? Yeah, if I was just a normal dude, like yeah. without doing any, yeah, just normal dude walking around, yeah. When you were trying to run your fastest times, you would like, whether you were right or wrong about this, you wanted back in those days to be walking up to the start line, weighing about what? 
Well, 137 is where I was my best at. I just kind of bought into the live, like, lighter is faster, lighter is faster, you know? And it's funny because I was getting DEXA scans, you know? Like, after I ran 206 in London, yeah, I got a DEXA scan, like, a couple days later. And uh, so I knew, like, where my body fat was at. I knew I was lean. So I don't know where I was expecting to lose the weight at. Because when I ran 206, I was 137, and I was, like, 4% body fat, like, point five or something like that and so it's like i don't it's funny to look back at that now and be like how did i expect to get lighter than that and stay strong and in my situation like i couldn't if i got lighter than that i was getting weak and i was running terrible you know when i retired i was like i'm five foot ten got down to 127 pounds and i was running terrible at that weight and yet I think that's the trap of comparison. You know, it's like, I'm just looking over on the starting line. I'm seeing these African dudes. that are just rails, just tiny dudes. And I'm thinking, Hey, if I want to run with these guys, I got to look like these guys, you know? And I, that's why now, like as a coach, I'm like, let's find the weight you're the strongest at. Right. And that's, that can be a tricky thing to find for athletes and you have to track your weight to find that. Right. I mean, I would track my weight kind of throughout my career, but trying to keep my athletes from like buying this live, like if I just get a pound lighter, if I just get one pound lighter, I'm be feeling better. I'm be faster. And what's tricky about it is that's true to a certain extent, right? Like there's truth in that. Like if I'm at 140 pounds, I'm not running nearly as well as if when I'm at 137, like it's that specific. Yep. Even if I'm 139, like I'm not going to be as fast as 137. Like 137 was it, right? But how do I know that? Because I was tracking it over years and years and years. And now I can look back at it and be like, yep, every single race that I ran well is 137. Set the American record and a half 137 ran 204 137 the, the year that meb uh won and i i don't even know what place i was i think i ran like 218 135 134 wow, that's it's it's that specific but again the only way to know that is to track it yourself and even like like with sarah it's like i don't care what the number is i only care about the number in relation to your previous performances, I want to know when you were at your fastest, what weight were you at? And then let's keep you right there. So then how do you think about these variables? On the one hand, right now focused on the weight. What was your weight when you were on that last performance or your peak performance or whatever? But I mean, there's all these other variables too, right? Yeah, yeah. Weight is one component. And I guess you would say like, man, you better, if you are trying to set a new world record or your own personal best, you better have, you better be stepping to that line at kind of your ideal weight. But what if you sleep poorly three nights before? Like at what point does your balance of when you were saying you ran great at 137, less good at 135, when when do the other variables start to really become a factor? Yeah. What's your response to yeah. that? Data points. You just need a bunch of data points, you know? It's like with any experiment, like the bigger the sample size, the more accurate it's going to be, right? So like for me, like you're totally right. It's like I can't look at 135 because, you know, my training might have went a little bit different leading up to that. How I was feeling on the day can change. Like that's why like science, it's it's interesting in the running space and I pay attention to it. But usually it's just confirming what we already know like as coaches and we've observed in the real world. 
because there's like you said so many variables that play into even in these like like they try and eliminate variables as much as possible in these running studies they're still just like they can't control like all the variables to like really be able to identify things unless it's a large sample size and it's repeated the experiments repeated over and over and over again you know but that's why like i rely more on like real world experience than i do on science for that very reason because it's just so hard to tell with all the different variables that are going on but so like for me it's looking back over not just like that one time but like years and years of like when i was lighter and maybe i was lighter and i had a bunch of races at that weight during that season and every single one of them went poorly then you're kind of like well it's it, it's becoming more and more likely like you still never know for sure right but it's becoming more and more likely that like this was at play and i wasn't even like a real healthy eater or anything and then i went to stanford did the same thing in the dorms and it's like all you can eat tons of food did the total freshman 15 thing you know put on a bunch of weight and didn't even realize it was affecting my running i was running really bad so my coach called me into his office and he's like he showed me two pictures he's like one from when i was in high school and one from like a recent race when i was in college he's like do you see anything different between these two pictures and i was like no like what are you getting out here and he's like you're a little bit bigger now he's like and i was like that was the first time it hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, I think I am. Like, I now that he says that, I can see it too, you know? And he had the conversation the most healthy way you could possibly have it. He's like, just eat lots of fruits and veggies. Like, don't do any crazy extreme diets. Like, just eat healthy, train hard, get lots of sleep, and it will. you'll find the right, right weight. But you need to pay attention to this. And of course, like I left his office, went on crazy diets. Like I went on this diet where all I'd eat is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for breakfast, one for lunch and one for dinner. And that was it. And when was, you were at Stanford? <laughs> yeah. And I was and I was running twice a day. Those are like 10 to 15 miles a day, training super hard. Lost a ton of weight in like over a weekend. And like my coach went for a weekend trip, came back from the trip. And he's like, what have you been doing? He could tell just from my face. My face was all like, you know, sucked in and stuff. And I was like, nothing. I'm just, you know, just eating and training. And I, yeah, I lost a bunch of weight and I was terrible on the track. I ran even worse, you know, as a result. And so that kind of started this chain of like crazy diets and then not being able to hold on to it. So then like binge eating and this whole cycle of just like really unhealthy kind of eating habits. And then it became like an emotional thing too. And really like something that didn't overcome till like I stopped running and got into lifting. And then the goal was to fuel myself really well and to like eat more calories than I needed and stuff. And now even when I'm losing weight, like I don't fall into like binge eating and stuff like that. Cause I never feel really depleted and really like run down and like really, it, there's not a performance thing attached to it to you, you know? Whereas in running, it's like you're always trying to just get a little bit lighter so you can run a little bit faster, you know. And now it's like I care about lifting. It's fun to get stronger, but it's a hobby, right? It's like I don't have any competitions coming up. I'm not going to do any competitions. Like this is just a fun kind of side thing for me. So um, now I just have like a much healthier I mean, my relationship with food is much healthier now than it was when I was competing. But, um, yeah, it was a roller coaster, that aspect of the sport. We talk about a lot, use the term disordered eating, and then there's eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And I guess 
my question is whether you would say I had an eating disorder or are you like, well, not exactly. I just always thought I needed to try to do this to get to a certain result. It never felt like I was absolutely out of control. Right. I just, you know what I'm like? Yeah. And that's why probably smarter people than me started using the term disordered eating. Right, right. And you could see how those two things might be different. Right. Well, I certainly felt out of control for sure. Um, so, you know, if that's the definition of eating disorder, then it was eating disorder because there were times where things would not be going well in my running and I would just go to food and just go crazy on food. And even after like good races, like after I won the Olympic trials in 2007, that right after that, I'm in New York city, like hitting every donut shop in the place and not because I'm like, I, I was stoked, right? Super happy. Just won the Olympic trials. But my body was so depleted and so like craving nutrients that like that was like I could only diet down. I could only be that light for so long. And then it's like I had to like go crazy on food, right? No matter if the race went well or not. But there are certainly times too where just like have a really bad workout. And then I felt really vulnerable to like go off on binge eating. And when I was in those binge eating sessions, I felt totally helpless, totally helpless, like I felt like I wasn't in control at all. So if, you know, that to me, that sounds like eating disorder. I've never like studied like the definition of disordered eating versus eating disorder. That's interesting to think about, but, um, very much felt like really out of control and like really emotionally down when I'd be doing it, kicking myself. What am I doing? Such an idiot. Why do I always do this? You know, but it's actually an interesting process though, because part of it like was my body's like craving food right and like getting back to like a normal weight so it was really interesting that every after every marathon i'd always put on like 10 pounds right and is usually via like binge eating for like two weeks right and the thing is athletically speaking that would work for me like every time i did that i would come back heavier fatter softer and uh but then i would train for my next marathon i'd slowly get down to race weight and I, my next marathon would always go well off that whereas once i started to get control over that and stop doing that then i would come into marathon buildups too light and you see this in the 41st day which is the documentary yeah. that came out about me where i was second at the olympic trials to meb in 2012 and then instead of, you know, putting on a bunch of weight in an unhealthy way, and here's kind of my message with that is like how I was putting on the weight was not healthy. I would not recommend that for kids. You know, you should not be binge eating after a season. Now, if I could go back and do it differently, what I do is still put on the weight, but do it in a healthy manner. Just eat a lot of really healthy foods, and but like really be intentional to actually try and put on 10 15 pounds you know because like i said every single time that worked for me my next marathon went great but as in the 41st day i fasted and got even lighter after my uh, olympic trials when i was second started training for the london olympics and it was just i came into that build up lighter than i'd ever been and it just got worse and worse and worse i just i i shot myself in the foot before that marathon build up like even started so <laughs> You know, like part of it was like my body was craving the nutrients, was craving like being at a healthier weight. And so I wasn't meeting those cravings in a healthy way by binge eating, but I 
did need to listen to those cravings, right? And meet those in a healthy way. And like I said, that would have looked a lot different if I could go back and do it all over again. But all that to say, like, I think what makes a healthy athlete is the athlete who's intuitive and is in tune with their body, listening to their body. And when their body's craving something like actually meeting those needs. And I think that was the difference between myself and my wife, Sarah. She's still running professionally. She's 37. I'm 37. I've been retired for five years because I got super extreme fatigue, you know, and it was going down, downhill. Whereas like she's always been intuitive with her body, always listens to her body's not afraid to change up training. When she's hungry, she eats eats she eats healthy food she's at a healthy weight for her and you know she's as fast as she's ever been she's run the london marathon in a couple weeks and she's in the best shape of her life you know and i think that is a great illustration for kids to look at and being like yeah you can take a shortcut here and like not listen to your body and just try and pound your body into the ground and you might get results for a while but if you really want like long-term success athletically speaking i really really believe the way to do that is like through intuitive eating intuitive training intuitive sleeping like just being as in tune with your body as you can possibly be to kind of wrap up that uh, this aspect of it it's like you got to just treat yourself as an experiment of one and just try things right and like sometimes the only way to know that like i'm not good at this weight is to try getting it that way and I, i'm a little hesitant to saying that because i don't want to force people into an unhealthy weight and say people should try being in an unhealthy weight but like that's how you learn your lines sometimes is crossing over them and in, in more ways than one like when i'm training and i'm trying to figure out what's my threshold pace for a half marathon sometimes you learn that by crossing over it and just crashing and burning right like that's that's kind of the nature of sports sometimes is like you got to just experiment and then find your sweet spot. And then just the mistake I made is I knew what my sweet spot was and there, there should become a point where you stop experimenting. Right. And you just stick with like what you know works. And, uh, it, it, that can be hard to do as an athlete. Cause you, you're always wanting to like tweak things a little bit and make things just a little bit better, which can be good, but that's where you need a coach to be like, okay, like it's pretty clear. Like this is where you operate the best at. Like, let's just sit right here and manipulate some other training variables or some other variables that might help you elevate your performance. But in terms of like your weight, let's just keep it here. It's so funny and scary or I mean some of this sounds like a horror film that you're describing right and <laughs> yeah. so it's so funny you you know you come in here and it's like ah, I get to sit down with Ryan this is going to be a lot of fun and and you know this kind of storied career but as you're talking I'm just like I just feel like sorry for you like why do you have you had to endure this like kind of a form of torture and in, in the other crazy parts here are that how were you as successful as you were while also battling like this sounds to me like a basketball player who's like my shooting hand was actually broken my entire career <laughs> and I'm right, like, right. well then how were you any good right, like right. i that i don't know how to wrap my head around that or if you if you've thought about that yeah. um yeah no that's a great point i mean i think it's kind of like this concept of like your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness, you know? And it's like, what made me good is like when I'm in something, like I'm all in and like, like when I'm up training in the gym up here, it's like every rep, 
squeeze as hard as you can go as hard as you can you know like i am like intense about whatever i do now that got kind of manifested in some unhealthy ways in my career but that also that mentality of like i'm gonna make this happen like i'm a like a mantra that sarah and i think about all the time is like champions find a way it's like sometimes like our will as human beings is so extremely powerful right and so I could put that to use in my training and in my belief system, my belief about myself that enabled like crazy, incredible things to happen. I just feel like if I would have been able to control that strength and not have it manifest into weakness in the eating category, especially had more guidance in that area, I think I would have had an even better career. You see, it's like I got results with the way I did things but I think that's also why like I had very dramatic highs and very dramatic yeah. lows yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was usually hitting the lows right like I had you know one like I ran 59.43 for half marathon I never got within a minute of that time again in my career that was my first half marathon hit it out of the park but like consistency was not my thing. Yeah. Like I was not consistent at all throughout my career. I actually, I was most consistent in the marathon, but even then, you know, like my results were a little bit up and down. But I mean, when I hit it, I hit it. <laughs> but when uh, most of the time I was not, not really hitting it out of the park. And I think it was largely because of, you know, these issues that, that I'm talking about. Where do you think that drive part, you know, the champions find a way. Yeah. And like, I'm going to find a way. Yeah. If I care, I'm going to find a way. Where do you think that came from? Like, did you inherit inherit that? Did you, was there, I'm not sure that any of us can ever like specifically pinpoint that, but I'm, I'm curious why it is that some people seem to have more of that than other people. And can it be cultivated or are we born with it or we aren't? Right. No, that's such a great question. So, I mean, I'm in the middle of five kids, right? So middle kid syndrome is like, we got to stick out. We got to prove ourselves. Like if we're going to be special, like we better do something to show we're special, right? So I think there was cert early on, I think there was certainly a big element of that. Like me trying to prove myself. And my, I had great parents, right? Who like loved each one of us like really well. But still there was this like competition thing inside me where like I always just took competition so, so seriously. If I struck out at the baseball plate, like even when I was 12 years old, I was going to cry afterwards because I would be like that intense about it, you know? And it took me a long time to be able to like look back at that and be like, why? Yeah, like why am I so intense? Why does this matter so much to me? And realizing like a lot of it was me trying to prove myself to myself more than anyone else, right? Trying to prove like I have the goods, I have what it takes, I'm good enough. And like because I'm good enough, that gives me value, you know? So when I look in the mirror, I like what I see because dang, I hit that half marathon or I hit that marathon or I made that Olympic team. Like I just justified my worth to myself, you know? And so like my faith has been super helpful in me, like getting away from that mentality. And as I've been able to get away from that mentality, it's brought a ton of life to my athletics that I'm really thankful I got to experience kind of in the second half of my career. There's actually a time at Stanford where like I got super depressed, super down because I wasn't performing well, was struggling in every aspect, struggling in the classroom, socially, everything, like nothing was going well. And I actually left Stanford for a quarter of my sophomore year 
dropped out of school, wasn't sure if I was going to go back, didn't even say goodbye to like any of my teammates. Just like I was really down, just went back home, got even more depressed when I went home. You know, I thought I could change what was going on inside my heart by changing my physical location and it totally backfired on me, you know. Um, But it did make me start to like confront like why – what makes me important? What makes me have value and worth, you know? And so like, and that's where I like, I kind of really went to my faith and I was like, okay, like what makes me important is what the same thing that makes all of us, all every human being who's on the earth important is like, I believe like we're all made in God's image. And because of that, like we are all of tremendous value and worth. And like when God sees each one of us, he's just like, that's my creation. And like, we resemble him, you know? And so when I think about it that way, it's like, okay, like I don't have to prove myself, right? Like that alone is what makes me enough. And as I was able to have that, then athletics just became fun. It was just like me going after kind of gravy, you know, like icing on the cake. And with that mentality, then you're not afraid to fail anymore, take big risks. And that's when like you do hit home runs every once in a while, you know. So I definitely grew a lot in that category. I'm still have to remind myself of these lessons to this day. This isn't something where it's like a one-time thing. Bam. Oh, I got it. It just clicked. Like I'm of worth because I'm a child of God. And now I never have to think about it again. You know, this is a continual thing, even to this day that I have to like remind myself and cultivate, you know, um, this value of like, I don't have anything to prove to myself or anyone else. Like I'm enough just how I am, you know, but there's also something about drive that just like I'm addicted to. Like, I just, I love the feeling of just going at something as hard as I possibly can, like hitting a punching bag. Like I just love, it. Just it's me in my garage, no cameras, no photos, nothing, just going crazy on this punching bag as hard as I can, just because I just simply love the sensation of that. I've experienced it so often, you know, I love, I love the pain, I love the discomfort, and I just, I just love to just go hard. Like it's just, to me, like I'm addicted to that sensation as well. Right. So even though like the best version of me, it's not my, I've been able to remove my worth from it. Still, I think what drives me to this day is just like, if I'm, if I'm deadlifting and I have, you know, 400 pounds in my hand, I just, I just love like not knowing if I can get that weight up off the ground. I love, I love the struggle, you know, and it's like this ultra marathon I just did. Like, I just love like not knowing if I can do something and just going after it with like everything inside of me. It's almost like meditation where it's like, there's nothing else going through your mind in that moment. You're just completely like engrossed in this thing and you're just going after it with everything inside of you. No distractions, no other thought. It's just like, let's go, you know? And something about that just makes me come to life and I just love it. First of all, definitely, totally agree. And and it's so interesting, like the different ways and the different activities that kind of where we get to lose ourselves is kind of how I think of it. And for me, football was exactly that. The basketball court was exactly that. Lifting is exactly that still to this day. Because when you're like, yeah, I... 
I might actually not be able to get this back up. Like you cannot be thinking about anything else. Skiing, mountain biking. It's like, yeah, lose focus on a mountain bike. Like you are in a tree and dead, (laughs) you know, skiing, like same thing. So the, the thing for me personally is running doesn't get me there because I think there isn't that near and present danger part of it. And so it's so fascinating in all these conversations that I now have, especially with long distance and longer distance runners, where I personally don't have that the lose yourself. I start thinking too much or like, oh, for me, I'm such a, you know, wuss. I'm always like, I hear myself breathing hard and it's just (laughs) psychologically crushing. Yeah, Yeah. But so was running ever that losing yourself is running for you that losing yourself do most runners have that sort of hyper focus you cannot think about literally cannot think about anything else well you can't maybe can't think of anything right it's that it's that loss of self in that present moment what's your own personal experience or how do you hear the runners that you maybe talk to the most talk about this right i think it mostly happens when you're going hard right so like when i hear you describe it like my initial thought is like well maybe you're just not going hard enough you know because <laughs> like if you were running like a mile for time flat on out, a track flat out i yeah. think you might have that experience or maybe you even need to go shorter because the thing is like you have to be fit enough to be able to push for a long time yeah. right so like when i'm running a marathon like if I'm not in good shape, like when I ran the World Marathon Challenge, I'm just slogging around out there, like thinking about a million and one different things. I'm not in that place of yeah. being like all there wow. and like, yeah, locked in, like super intense. Like, no, I'm not like that at all because I'm not fit enough to like hold that kind of intensity, right? Yeah. But when, I'm, when I'm in good marathon shape, when I was running professionally, you are there. Yeah. I mean, you're there like the whole time, right? Um, so maybe you just need to go shorter. At the same time, like, you know, I just ran this ultra marathon and it was more uh, a mentality thing of just being like, mentally I am not going to think about how far I have to go and I'm just going to be in this moment and just like take the next step, take the next step. It was crazy. After I finished, I was like, I can't wait to just go to bed. Like I didn't go to a restaurant afterwards. I didn't feel like celebrating. I just wanted to go straight to bed. So I I did that, like took a shower, went to bed and then I laid in bed. My legs were just like throbbing, like pulsating, you know, I couldn't even sleep. I was like, oh, this wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. But I found like I was getting like flashbacks of myself in the race and just being like, just like push, just keep pushing one more step, one more step, you know? So I think the experience is different based on the intent intensity at which you're able to hold based on fitness you know but even for myself not being fit in this ultra marathon there was this kind of like i'm locked into this mentality of just like keep going the keep mission going. you were yeah. locked into yeah. the mission yeah maybe yeah I, not no, to put no, words no, in no that's a great way to put it and so that's i was still locked in when i yeah. went to bed you know i was getting like flashbacks like keep pushing keep pushing. like it took me to like the next day to be like okay you're done you're done like you did it <laughs> so i'm thinking about high school Ryan and you know you're you're coming on uh we've got this remarkable runner right in California and thinking about like if you met high school Ryan today or if high school Ryan met other coaches like do we think that the state 
of coaching and the state of science today is so much better than it was, what, back in the earliest 2000s, that that kid would have had a very different experience? Or were you like stubborn enough <laughs> that you had some people maybe telling you some of this and you're like, nah, nah, I, I, I'm going this way. Like, how do you think about yeah that high school version of you today coming up yeah oh, i love to like approach when i give advice to people like talk as if i'm talking to my high school self because I, I would love to coach go back and coach myself wasn't when i was in high school i mean i had amazing coaches like my dad coached me i worked with irv ray like all throughout my career like i had amazing coaches all the way through and that was a big reason why i was successful you know like they were great leaders and prescribed great training and really helped me out a lot um but you know if i would have had myself speaking to myself about issues such as weight i think that could have been super helpful and that's why like with run free training we're all about like holistic approach to training because i think maybe something that's shifting is we're very obsessed with like the training plan and now i feel like things are shifting to where it's like you need to have the whole pie in the line, the whole you, the holistic approach to training, like that's equally as important as just like the training alone, right? So that's like with run free, like I had no desire to just send athletes training plan and be like, good luck, you know? <laughs> like, cause I know like it can be the perfect training plan. If your sleep's not in order, it's not gonna work. If your nutrition's not good, it's not gonna work. Like there's all these other factors that come into play, right? And so like having all those other areas dialed in, if I would have had someone like, talking to me about my weight and being like look like you don't need to get lighter look like you ran 59 minutes of this weight like just just stay you're here, good here. You're that good. variable's good yeah, yeah yeah and like and even like the whole like putting on weight in the off season you know in the two weeks after a marathon i'd put on 10 15 pounds and felt really crappy about doing that every single time. I was like, why did I put on so much weight? And I come back to running, I feel terrible. And yet like it worked, right? So if I would have had someone being like, listen, like, don't beat yourself up about this. Like, this is actually a helpful thing for you. And let's let's do it in a healthy way. Like, you don't need to do the binge eating thing. You don't need to be going crazy on donuts. But let's, like, actually intentionally try and put on some weight here, but in a healthy manner. And, and just have someone kind of, like, talk through some of those issues with me, I think, would have been super, super helpful. But, um, you know, the, some of those issues are things that – unless you've been there before or that person has been there before just you know coaches don't know how to address that or you know they they don't know what the answers are too and so it's like how do you lead someone if you're not sure what weight they should be at yourself you know it's really again i come back it's really fascinating if if your story these days was like oh yeah ryan is like wildly accomplished runner um Again, as you've said yourself, like incredible highs, certainly worth some lows. And I think you've spoken really well about why some of that happened. And um, But if you were now the guy who's like, yep, I left that world behind. Now I'm into like lifting weights and f waking up and feeling strong and feeling high energy and the rest. And I don't really like talking about running. I don't. I don't coach runners, certainly. That would make sense to me. And yet, like, again, I think it's, I think it's fascinating and I think it's a real gift that, and this is, I want to talk before I let you get going, like talk a little bit about all the different things you have going on. So 
you've been talking about run free. You've got a podcast now you're doing where you're distilling a lot of really good information and, you know, building in your own experience and, and extrapolating from that. Your book came out. When was that? Has that been? Be two years in April. Two years in April. A documentary just dropped. And so like there's, you're, you're taking these moments to like, this was my experience. This is what I learned. Happy to share it with you. You're not just the guy in the corner of the gym who's like, that was a previous life. I don't really talk about that. I'm over it. Next chapter. It's a, again, I think a really, if that was the version, I'd get it and be like, yep, I, I get it. You know, you did this then you don't want to talk about it now. And yet you're coming in. And I think a lot of people are really benefiting right now from your willingness to kind of share and, um, or, and maybe inherent interest to share. But I, I do sometimes wonder like, is this hard? Like, is this hard sometimes to revisit uh-huh. some of this? I think it's actually like helpful for me and healing for me, you know? Um, my failures have a purpose when I share them, you know? Uh, if I just take my failures and I just bury them and no one benefits from knowing like, hey, if he could go back and do this differently, he would have, you know, and this is how he would have done things differently. That That's what makes it worth it going through that failure. You know, if I can share it and help someone else and they avoid that failure, I'm like, yes, you know, that's, that's it. That's what failure is about. It's about sharing those experiences. It's really easy to talk about your successes, right? And share those as a highlight reel on Instagram, you know? Um, but sometimes like, that's not as helpful to people as like knowing like what are the pitfalls here that I need to be watching out for and and not fall into myself and also too like when I think when I was going through my journey it was about me trying to see how fast how good I could get at this thing and then later on in that I was like hold on like this Yes, like that's part of it. Like I think part of it is like I went through the season and it was about like me like loving life, loving what I was doing, loving going after this goal. But it's about it's supposed to be about more than that, right? I think each one of our journeys, it's about us, but it's also supposed to be about us like sharing that with other people and helping other people on their journey. So like I'm just I just love sharing my story if I can be helpful at all for anyone, you know, and putting out just like free content to people. So like run free, like a lot of the stuff we put out, like we have a YouTube channel with instructional videos and showing weights and all that stuff is just like free. And like we just want to help people. And it's like the podcast it's like probably the most important thing is what's going on inside your heart when you're training right that was like one of the big revelations i had uh in my running careers it's not so much about what i'm doing it's how i'm doing what i'm doing and so like what's going on in your head your mind your heart is so so important as an athlete so that's you know what the run free podcast is all about it's like let's go after what's going on up here while you're doing those 400 meter repeats or you're out in your race or um i think the last episode i was talking about when you go into races and you're way over yeah. your head head like how do you manage that you know like how do you not freak out and have a meltdown before you even get to the starting line and so like things like that where i'm like yeah like i've grown a lot in this area it's really fun for me to get to share that with people and and hopefully get to help some people on their journey that by the way was a question i wanted to ask i mean that that was a really fun episode like right before you tried your first ultra so my question was how good of a job did you do at taking your own advice (laughs) from that episode oh i in terms of showing up to the starting line like relaxed like carefree 
really good. Like I, I, like I said, I was so chatty and such a good mood out there for most of the part. When I got really dehydrated, I went a little bit quiet. I was with my athlete Meta, and we were, we ran the whole thing together, which was awesome. But like, I definitely had a patch there. I was like, went into like the quiet suffer phase. But I think that was more due to dehydration than anything else. And I came out the other end of that. So pretty good you know i'm not i'm not perfect you know and a lot of these things are things that i'm working on myself that i'm sharing with people it's like man i really want to grow in this area guys like let's cultivate this thing that we're going after together it's not like i got it down i got mastered i'm 37 i have nothing left to learn in life you know it's like i i'm still like going after this stuff myself so it's kind of fun, a fun thing where it's like yeah i've like traveled the road but i'm also still on the road i'm still traveling i'm still learning you know and so like let's it's kind of like with my kids it's like we're growing up together i'm gonna make mistakes here i make mistakes every single day and uh you know that's part of growing up together Turns out too, I think like one of the absolute best things of being alive and like being alive, like hopefully tomorrow and the day after is, turns out you never stop learning. I think if you're doing this game correctly and it's so, it's so exciting in that respect. And you're like, there's always gonna be a new perspective. If you're paying attention, we can always find new perspectives and the rest. And, and I think like, I, I just always find that really kind of exhilarating. Yeah. Right? And I find that to be super helpful in flipping the script on aging. You mm. know, it's like totally every single birthday, everyone's like, oh, I'm getting older. I'm so old now. And I'm already like working on my, I have those same tendencies, you mm. know, it's like, man, I, I can't believe I'm like going towards 40 now. That's mm -hmm. so old, you know? And yet, like, I love, like, I think it's in France where they have a very different perspective mm -hmm. on aging of like having it be like a beautiful thing. And so when you look at it that way, it's like, yeah, like every day I get to learn to grow and like life is going to get better because I'm getting better every single day. Maybe our body's not getting better. Maybe we're not getting stronger and faster and all that, but like, internally so much more important than what's happening externally, you know? So, and here's, here's, you know, I think about this a lot too. And here's my take on this is, um, I, I can honestly say if I look back at every decade of my life, I've liked the most recent one, even more. There's, there's never been a time where I'm like, Oh, the twenties, you know, or the teens or the thirties or something. And I think that I think for me, it feels like if we are fortunate enough to be healthy and to be fit in some sense, right? So that might not mean that we're on the, you know, we're now breaking new world records or it, there comes a time when you stop hitting personal bests right, in a given activity, right. but to just feel good when you wake up and feel pretty strong, we have more information today about how to do that effectively into our 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, et cetera, than we've ever had before. And that's really what I think, again, if we are fortunate to kind of have that health and feel good and you get to combine that with some lived experience, that really is why I do think we have a whole lot of reasons to really enjoy more and more these lives. Now, maybe not so good if you're trying to run 205 or 204 or 203 with that extremely specific goal, but we just got done talking about if that's the only thing you're fixated on, your path to happiness <laughs> <Yeah>. is... <laughs> 
<laughs> Real narrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and short-lived. Yes, yeah, it's not going to last forever. So yeah. uh, it's fascinating <laughs> stuff. Are you a planner? I mean, are you the sort that is thinking about, so you're 37 now. Do you spend much time thinking about, all right, at 40, at 42, at 47? I would love to see me at this portion of life. Do you think that way or is it more about like the now? Yeah, I'm very much just focused on the now for sure. And I've just learned, I think life has thrown so many curveballs at me that like I am more looking to just embrace whatever comes my way than me try to, even like in the weight room with my goals, like for a while there, it's like, I'm gonna bench 400 pounds by the time I'm 40. And this time I'm gonna get there, yeah. Yeah, and then like, I'm already seeing like, okay, like that's not gonna happen. And I see that mistake a lot with my athletes is like, we have these goals and we put timestamps on them and we think it's gonna unfold a certain way and it almost never does, right? And so like, I'm more along the lines of like, yeah, it's good to have like this goal sitting out there and it's driving me and motivating me. And I'm not going to put a timestamp on it. Maybe I'll get there when I'm 50. Maybe I'll never get there. But, like, I'm just going to enjoy each day for what it is and see where it takes me, you know. Now, with that said, like, there is a place for, like, planning and, you know, looking at your future and where you want to be and all that I think can be good. But I think it's more about working the system, working the day to day, you know, like having healthy habits in place and like healthy lifestyle and doing that day after day after day. And that's going to take you to a good place, right? It's like, it's not the difference between champions is not having goals or not having goals. Like it's really easy to have the goal of being an Olympic champion. Like there's a lot of people who have that goal when they're kids or whatever, right? Like that's not what makes you great having those goals. It's like, do you have the training in place? Do you have the nutrition in place? Do you have like the tools you need and can you execute those every single day? That's what's going to like put you on that trajectory to get you to that place, you know? So I'm kind of like focused on just the day, like today. Do a great job with today. Take today's step, what's on the plate for today and see see where it leads. Yeah. I do think and I'm curious whether you agree with me about this or not, I do think that maybe more than ever before, we do hear more people talking about like the process, enjoy the process. That's, that is the enjoyment, right? And it's maybe a little bit less than it used to be where I think some of us used to be like happiness equated standing on that podium. And you just looked out at that thing in the distance and it's like that victory with that medal, that equals happiness. And do you think this is messaging that that it's like, nah, don't worry about that so much. Like, do you like today? Do you like what you're doing, how you're performing, how your body feels, et cetera? Do you think it's fair to say that, yeah, I think that's more of a general message or, or given the circles you're in, you're like, eh, I think we still need to hammer that message real hard. Yeah. Oh, no, I definitely think we need to hammer that message hard. It's so easy to get lost on the goal, right? And like have your whole happiness is all dependent on this thing happening. And what I found is like, you don't have control over that. Like, that was one of the things that's hard for me as an athlete who's trying to win a gold medal. It's like, I can't control how fit everyone else gets, right? Like I can do everything perfectly. And the truth is there's me one dude on that podium, right? So like, it doesn't matter if we all did everything perfectly and had everything dialed in. It doesn't matter how much you believe. Like 
there's hundreds and hundreds of guys who believe they're going to be that dude. Yet there's only one guy, you know? So I think when we bring ourselves back and we're focused on the process and we're enjoying the process and that's where the true victory is, right? Because like we can all enjoy the process. Like that's not an exclusive victory that one guy gets to experience, right? So um, I think we, we need to be reminded of that all the time and being like, don't get so lost on your goal that you forget to enjoy today. Now, with that said, it's like there are moments where you got to just be faithful to your training and like putting yourself out there when you don't feel like it. You know, like if you get into like a mindset of like, I have to like enjoy every single day and it's all, it always has to be fun. If I don't feel like doing it, I'm not going to do it. Like there's a lot of days I don't feel like training. Right. And there's a lot of days when I'm discouraged. I'm like, I'm not making progress. What's wrong with me? What's going on? You know? And there's a lot of days where you got to just show up and just put in the work and it's not sexy. It's not fun. And, um, but those days do pay off somewhere down the line, you know? So it's this balance of like not being, your emotions, you know, and like not letting those run your life and sometimes doing things that you don't feel like doing. But even that is like, can you embrace that is like part of the beautiful journey of going after life. And, you know, going back to like what we're talking about, just like, like, I just love to like go after things with everything inside of me. And that is an aspect of doing that is like, sometimes you don't feel like lacing up your shoes and going for that run. And you got to just kick yourself in the pants to get out the door, you know? So, yeah, like most things in life, um, there's these extremes and then there's, there's tension between those. Right. And it's like, can you find like that, that beautiful spot that's like, right for you somewhere in the middle of those you know and it right because it's sometimes it's like oh enjoy the process and like don't worry about it enjoy the process it's like cool doubt i'll ever see you on a podium <laughs> right 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 yeah. and yeah. and then you know again to to wrap things up when when sarah is about to go after it right how you either navigate that or how she it'd be really fun to talk to her at some point about this but how those people, because like, look, I love excellence and, and it's inspiring people who have the audacity to set certain goals and say, I'm going after this and we're going to see if I can get there. I, you know, I don't want to create a culture where we're like, no, no, that's wrong. Just here's another donut. Right. <laughs> but how you, if that is a balanced thing or if it's more of a seasons of life. Right. Yep. Where yep. you think this ain't your season right, right. now. You're, right. This is killer season. Right. Totally. And I mean, that's how it was for us, right? It's like we both, I, I know for myself, had a very unhealthy, unsustainable season of going after this goal of seeing how good I can get, you know, and it required me living in like an unhealthy way. And, um, you know, I had to make sacrifices. My extended family had to make sacrifices. My friends had to make sacrifices. Um, but it wasn't meant to last forever. Right. And so like, if you can identify the beginning of that season and the end of that season and being like, okay, like this is the end. And now I'm moving into like a healthier place. I think that's, that's ideal. Is now the immediate goal? Is it Sarah 
or is like, no, man, it's, we've got four kids right, <laughs> and like, right. you know, keeping them learning and the rest or how, what does it feel like to you right now in terms of the like immediate, immediate? Yeah. Uh, it's certainly, you know, Sarah has a timestamp, right? It's like, she's 37 and it's been great that she continues to get faster and faster, but we are well aware like that's limited and extremely limited which has been a little bit tricky to be honest with the covid thing it's like now there's no races to be had and you're like here you are in the height of your career getting towards the tail end of your career and all of a sudden poof all the races are gone you know and i think a lot of people can relate to that whether you're a senior in high school or senior in college or a professional runner towards the end of your career it's it's been tough that way but it's also given us a sense of urgency so i'd say there's a real that's probably the best way to put it. A real sense of urgency with Sarah of being like, let's make this count. Let's go after this as perfectly as we know how to. Because we know in, who knows, a year from now, two years from now, three, four years from now, like at some point, like this is, you're going to start slowing down, you know? So that's one reason why we're up here. We're like, she needs 9,000 feet. She responds better at 9,000 feet than she does at 7,000 feet. So, you know, we're going to rent a place in Crested Butte and hang out for a month. And our kids are doing online school. And so, you know, like the family kind of is bending and flexing around that kind of like urgent need and uh, you know that's what families do like we bend and flex for family members when they need it the most and i'd say you know sarah's in that season of like hey guys i got a couple more years here to see what i can do like i'm gonna need you to go to crested butte and hey that's not a bad option you know i think most kids would be pretty stoked yeah. to be up here doing online school for now i mean is the plan you will primarily be here in cb until you head to london or yeah. 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 So we'll leave here and then go back um, like 10 days before London and then be there for like in there in Flagstaff for three days and take off for London. And then, you know, we'll be quarantined in a hotel there and um, for about a week before the race and then it'll be go time. But yeah, when, anytime you come down from 9,000 feet and you're down at sea level, you just feel like you have a third long, you know, you feel like Superman. So I'm, I'm stoked for her to get to experience that. I just, I remember how amazing that feels. I've had some like very euphoric runs. The first time you drop down from 9,000 feet, just going, I can remember vividly before the 07 trials, drop down from 9,000 feet in Mammoth to my first run in San Francisco before I got on the airplane to head to the trials. I just felt like I was floating on air. It felt so amazing. It felt like, it felt like you can't go hard enough. Huh. It's like, yeah. I can't, yep. I can't make myself breathe yep. hard. Yeah. Just unreal. So I, I'm really, and sometimes, you know, I say that and then I've had other times where you drop down from 9,000 feet and you feel like you're breathing hard. And it's like, you don't always get that. At least I didn't always get that experience, but I'm really hoping she does when yeah. she hops down and it's just like, whoa, I feel amazing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, man, we're going to be rooting for her. Yeah. And uh, I guess if there is, is there the single place that you would direct people to link up? I mean, you, again, you've mentioned you're got so much going on right now but do you have your favorite place for people to link up with you yeah so i'm like ryan hall three on most socials so facebook twitter instagram ryan hall three uh we have a website ryan and sarah hall.com and then we have our own foundation too the hallstepsfoundation.org so people can go there and uh you know we do things in impoverished countries and communities all over the world there with like micro lending we, we're big on empowerment you know we've spent a lot of time in africa and um, we have a 
real heart for people who are living in tough situations and want to just like be able to give them micro loans so they can start their own business. And so we're working with Kiva and stuff like that. So um, people can run any race anywhere in the country uh, for the Steps Foundation and every single dollar they raise goes towards the projects um, that we're working with, which are always people on the ground doing the work and using like local staff too. So um, yeah, people can go there if they're interested in uh, joining our team. And 41st day yep. is now it's on Amazon. Yep. And don't get it on what was it, iTunes or something. It, uh, so like for some reason they listed the price at $120. <laughs> I think my, my, everyone was messaging me about it. They're like, why is your film $120? <laughs> you, you are so selfish. You're not selfish. <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Greedy or something. But like, we didn't set the price. I haven't made a penny off the film. So it's not, it's not making me money. But anyways, yeah. So one of those it's priced super high, but the other one it's priced properly and then we also have you know run free training yeah uh, runfreetraining.com so if people are looking for running training um you know what makes us different is we're like a holistic approach to training so we look at how you run your we do form analysis with every single athlete that comes on board we look at nutrition sleep habits all that stuff so it's not just like a send you your training good luck double back with me in a couple weeks you know it's a very like hands-on coaching uh, business that i'm stoked to continue to grow that as well uh, it's really good to connect and walk back through some of this history and talk about your whatever 72 hours ago you run in your first ultra here and and uh, it's such an interesting little journey you are on right now and uh, it's really fun to get to catch up and, and hear you talk firsthand about some of it so I appreciate you appreciate you taking the time and meeting up here of course thanks for having me on it's it's fun for me to share the journey with with every, other people i just i love love chatting so you got a lot of irons in the fire <laughs> my man do, i do i know um well go get back to those irons in the fire <laughs> yes. and uh but yeah great to connect and uh look forward to doing it again sometime down awesome. the line. yeah thanks for having me all right man all right that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Ryan for the conversation. And be sure to check out runfreetraining.com and then send Ryan a note. I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.